Hello, and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, episode number 35. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and in this episode, I'm talking to multi-instrumentalist and composer Rachel Flowers. If you're not familiar with Rachel, she's an extraordinary artist who was left visually impaired after being born 15 weeks prematurely. A musical prodigy, Rachel began learning classical piano at age four and hasn't stopped learning since. She's been mentored by some of the biggest names in music, such as Keith Emerson and Herbie Hancock. Her life has been chronicled in the documentary Hearing is Believing. Her new album, Bigger on the Inside, came out on October 1st, and it combines progressive rock, jazz, and classical influences that mix together into a vibrant and unique collection of songs. I spoke with Rachel and her mother, Jeannie, who was also a musician for this week's episode. Let's get to that interview. Here we go. Hello, it is time for another edition of Michael's Record Collection, and I'm very happy to have with me today multi-instrumentalist and composer Rachel Flowers, who has a brand new album out uh, that came out on October 1st called Bigger on the Inside. Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, Where are you in the world? Are you still in Oxnard, California? Yep, still in Oxnard. The new album just came out, and it's uh, it's something I'm definitely interested in talking to you about. I listened to it again today. It's uh, it's a it's a great release, and we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more in a bit. But I want to start with your background mm-hmm. uh, for for people who are not maybe familiar with your music. You began yeah. classical piano training at age four, so that makes me curious. Mm-hmm whether or not you were exposed to pop or rock music at an early age or or if it was just pretty much classical and the pop and rock came later. Mm. Okay, so when I was very little, there was a whole lot of different music playing in my house. um, My mom and dad were, they're songwriters and guitar players and singers. And and so my mom would play a lot of singer-songwriters and various people from James Taylor, to Paula Cole, to Sean Colvin. And then my dad would play a lot of guitar virtuoso music. So stuff from Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, uh, Phil Keggy, uh, a lot of a lot of those players, Eric Johnson. Mm-hmm. And then my grandma and grandpa would play me recordings of bands like Asleep at the Wheel. So is it like Western? Yeah Western, swing. yeah, Western Swing, which had some jazz moments in there. And then and then when I was in my bedroom, uh, I would listen to the radio on a boombox and I would be very fascinated by a lot of the various music from the hip hop stuff from artists like Lauren Hill mm-hmm. singing and rapping, which at the time, I had no idea that that was one person. I thought it was two people. I was like, wow, women can do all that as well. So, And then the classical music was something that my mom would also play me. Uh, I can't remember. What was it? I think my, my mom wanted to make sure that I had a musical education in a lot of the classical background to expand on the music that I was listening to. And it was pretty cool to have classical piano lessons and listen to various music from composers like Bach, Beethoven. My favorite was Debussy, the impressionistic, dreamy stuff. Mm-hmm. Rachmaninoff was another favorite in terms of just compositions and big sound. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's uh, it was pretty exciting. Yeah, it sounds like you had a, a very well-rounded musical education from your parents. So that's uh, that's great. I know that, um, <laughs> you know, something that um, if people just find you on Spotify that they might not realize is that you were you were visually impaired due to being born 15, 15 weeks early. Is that right? Yeah, 15 weeks premature. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so as a, as a father of a daughter, my daughter was born five weeks uh, prematurely. And I cannot imagine what your parents went through because what we went through was, was bad enough. I would imagine it was, it was <laughs> worse for them. 
but so you, you know, you began training, like I said, uh, at age four, uh, classical piano, and it just the fact that you have, you, know, you seem to have, and from what I've seen in, in the videos and the movie, um, you know, the documentary about your life, it seems like you have perfect pitch. You you remember notes. You somebody can give you a note. You say what it is. It's it's almost yeah. like you, since you were visually impaired, you have a a superpower with your hearing almost. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, it's pretty wild yeah there, there's a movie called hearing is believing and it's a documentary on my life and it's uh yeah it's pretty wild and my mom tells the story about how I was born and um how difficult it was for her at first and knowing that a lot of life most of it is visual mm -hmm. and and uh finding ways to like work around it and moving forward so yeah so you found uh, jazz music at age nine uh, what spoke to you about that particular musical style was it the improvisation the freedom something else uh, it was mainly the improvisation um, I think the first thing that caught my interest was the the drumming in jazz especially if it's I was so used to listening to various like pop and rock stuff where the drums are doing the two and the four. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing jazz drumming and they're not doing that. They're not doing that steady pulse. They're like switching it around with the kick and the snare. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how? How do they keep it? How do they keep it going when they're like doing that? So, and then, <laughs> and then I heard the piano stuff from McCoy Tyner with John Coltrane, and then like the various Miles Davis stuff, and then the different possibilities in expressing harmony and melody, and and uh, the different approaches to improvisation was pretty cool. Hearing is believing uh, documentary. I saw you. You have a device that was reading you the the lyrics to "That's the Way It Is" by Bruce Hornsby, mm -hmm. and and then you were playing it. it and I wondered mm -hmm. how many times do you hear something before you are able to just memorize <laughs> the lyrics? Like how long does it take you to get that process down? Mm, it varies. A lot of times, I just like to listen to the the song, the recording of it. And then I would I listen to it several times and it depends on the sim how simple it is. Uh, sometimes I might not if I hear something for the first time, I might not remember the exact um, way that it was played. But I could remember like how like the range of the instruments and sort of the ideas. And, and then I would hear it again and then the memories, the memorization would kick in. And then if I'm just like, well, I've heard the song, but I would like to really study the lyrics and read the lyrics and use my iPhone with voiceover, which is one of the features on the Apple uh, voiceover that allows people with no vision to access the phone by just using a speech voice and their basically their hands or their, their fingers and it's all these movements like swiping up with one finger or swipe down with one finger mm -hmm. uh if i'm gonna type something i would hear voiceover read the letter and if it's the right one i would tap it twice so it's like a double tap 
And it's kind of unusual to um, figure out how to talk about it. it. It feels so natural to me. Like sometimes I forget that there are some people who might not know what I'm doing and it's fascinating. So it's, yeah, it's, technology is, has been really cool. In yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> do you have a record collection or do you just listen to music on the radio or on, you know, digitally, like on, on the streaming services? How do you listen to music? Uh, a lot of times I would put CD, like my favorite CDs or music that I downloaded off of iTunes, like Apple or, or my mom with Amazon, like various places. Mm-hmm. If um, How do I say it? I have a huge collection of music that a lot of it I downloaded online, but um, I would put it on a machine called a, a Victor Reader Stream, which is a, it plays <laughs> M4As, MP3s, um, but it's uh, it's a really cool machine, and and I put a lot of music on a whole bunch of. Here, let me hold it up so you can see. See, it has all these buttons that she okay. can press, and it uh, and it speaks to her and lets her know where she is. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah, and so I have these SD cards, and I've been categorizing them. So I have like a huge jazz collection, and my mm-hmm. rock collections, and. R&B collection, hip hop collection. That's <laughs> why it's, it's huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how old were you when the Hearing is Believing documentary was made? You were what in your teens? Uh, I was like 20. Uh, was I, it made 2016? It ended in 2016. Yeah. So. <laughs> Started in 2014. So. Yeah, I was like 20. Yeah. Okay. You were able to meet uh, a lot of your heroes, uh, you know, Keith Emerson before he passed. Um, how did you first get ELP's music? How did that first kind of cross your radar? How did you learn about ELP? Was that from your parents? Uh, that was from a friend of theirs. I don't remember now. Yeah. Yeah, it was a friend of mom and dad's. Yeah. I was about like nine and I had been doing a lot of classical piano stuff specifically a lot of Bach and Debussy repertoire and I'm playing I'm at this friend's house and I'm sitting at a piano and I play a lot of this stuff and then his name is McRae right yeah 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 it was McRae yeah, and he played he, he put on Trilogy and it was the Endless Enigma I was hearing this and I was like, wow, they're doing like fugue type stuff, like the Bach thing, but it's, it's, it's wilder. And then they got the bells and it's like, they're like the synthesizers are like the horns or something. And then I hear the title track of Trilogy and it gets to the first synthesizer solo. And I get my, this is when I was using tape recorders, but it was like, it was like when it, it was like a Walkman or something. I don't remember. And I'm like, wow, what? I couldn't verbalize it, but in my head, I was thinking, wow, what is that sound? It's like this synthesizer, because I've heard synthesizers in more textured stuff like craftswork and like my Uncle Lonnie would play me craftswork. So a lot of the, the electronic music stuff, but to hear the synthesizer play stuff that like a trumpet play, like this is around the time I started getting into Miles Davis. So, well, this was, this was before that, but I was like, wow, synthesizer can do all this cool stuff. This is neat. So, yeah, that was how I started getting into Emerson, Lake and Palmer. I am. Uh, I was impressed with how you were able to join uh, 
Dweezil Zappa on stage for Zappa plays Zappa. And, and it seemed like with just a little quick rehearsal, you were able to just step right in in front of a big crowd and, and have this, you know, amazing performance. Yeah. Did you, did you first meet Dweezil at the NAM show or did you meet him prior to that? At the NAM show. So how many times did you actually rehearse with the band? I think it was once. It was very brief. Mm -hmm. We just we just talked through it and Dweezil's like, if we end the solo by doing I might play a little phrase, da, 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 and I'll go, and then we can try a few bars and like me. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing Montana. So that and we traded off on guitars. So that was fun. Yeah, it looked like you were having a good time. Mm -hmm. Playing with a band that studied the repertoire and and really had that excitement. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. cool. So you recently played at Prague Stock in New Jersey. How did that go? That went really well. That was um, a really, really cool, um, pretty cool experience. There was a real, um, there was that, um, the COVID safety things oh, uh -huh. that made it easy to, like I was very protected and eat, but I wore my mask the whole time, but I, we were all like, everyone was, protected in the event and um it was just a lot of fun to play on stage again play on that nice fazioli piano and then to have conversations with people it was pretty cool were you able to do a, a you know some of the songs from the new album yeah i was able to like strip them down on the piano we had a like a cd release breakfast thing one of the one of the days and uh, it was exciting so <laughs> okay nice yeah so you've done prog stock you've been on cruise to the edge i know from the message boards that i go to a lot of progressive rock fans are drawn to your music do you consider yourself a progressive rock artist or or a jazz artist who just happens to have some prog influences or, or something else completely i don't really know i i like everything so um i don't really know I think I just, uh, I don't really like to categorize just one thing. So mm -hmm. I like to see myself as like someone who like, who just loves all kinds of music. So yeah, like Frank Zappa, he did the jazz thing. He did the satire stuff. He did the classical thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So you're just you, that's it. Yeah. You're just you. <laughs> <laughs> So your career has had has uh, quite a bit of, of a family vibe to it. Uh, the other voice that people are hearing on the podcast is your your mom. mom uh, flowers. Yeah, there are other flowers names in the credits. Your, <laughs> your brother did the the artwork for the the new album. Mm -hmm. What is it like involving your family in in your music career? It was pretty cool. I've I've always wanted to um, not just be the well-known one but wanted to like feature my mom and my brother vine and various things and uh yeah yeah pretty cool yeah so i wanted to ask you when you're not doing a show you're just home what is a, a typical day like for you rachel what is uh, what can you tell me about are, are you composing music every day only some days do you have a routine it kind of varies a lot of times I would listen like if I'm kind of stuck on something I would listen to something that I hadn't really discovered much of or other times I would just listen to something that I have listened to for a long time and hear it with a whole new set of ears yesterday I've been um, wanting to check out uh, Donny Hathaway more and mm -hmm. check out his music I'd listen to stuff on YouTube and I would really focus on the singing, the piano, the harmonies, the control in the vocal. And then I would write something or take a song that I really like and sort of do it in that style and see how close I can get and just have a lot of fun. And other times I would compose a song. I might listen to something that I hadn't really, um, I use my laptop to um, write a lot of lyrics 
also mm -hmm. using voiceover now. And I like doing that because it makes it easier for me to get the words out. And then what I would do is I would get my phone out, record myself. I, I put the headphones on my um, computer. I almost said phone. <laughs> headphones on a computer. So then I can just make it a, a vocal guide, like a vocal draft mm -hmm. for an idea. And then later on, once I have once I have the lyrics memorized, I I get to sort of the recording space in this in in the bedroom with my computer and keyboards from Nord and Korg and then my basses and guitars, mm -hmm. flute, microphones and all that, and then record the song and uh yeah. A lot of composing then. Um, let's talk about your album, Bigger on the Inside. This is famously a recurring line from the Doctor Who television series. Did did the title come from that or is it yeah. from somewhere else? Yeah. Doctor big, Who. Big Doctor Who fan? My mom loves Doctor Who. <laughs> 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 on this album, you played all the instruments yourself? Mm-hmm. Yep. How many different instruments did you play on this record? Oh man, uh, the keyboards, the bass, guitars. This one I didn't play flute. Um, I played flute on my first two albums, Listen mm -hmm. and Going Somewhere, but not on Bigger on the Inside. Yeah. The uh, there there are drums and horns. Are those canned drums and horns? Then are they they samples? They're samples played live on the keyboard. Okay. They they sound terrific. I mean, I was it was Thanks. difficult to tell. I, I love listening to drummers. Like I've been mimicking drummers since I was very little on mm -hmm. synthesizers that had drum sounds. I would listen to Rush, for example, and, and I'd hear the camera eye. And there was this one section. I can't remember what time in the song. It's after the first time the band does that. Do do they focusing shopping the city and then the next part when it goes back to sort of the intro section yeah. and i would i would play that drum pattern on the keyboard so that was like one of my favorite drum lines drum stuff to play on the keyboard and then i would just listen to all sorts of drummers and i still do like it when i'm listening to porcupine tree i like to really listen to like gavin harrison and his drumming ideas and mm -hmm. and nowadays there's these incredible sound libraries on on uh, computers where they sample all the various nuances of a drum like the kick and the snare and the cymbals and so it allows me to think more like having a live drummer in the room kind of a thing and it's just been a lot of fun so yeah, yeah it's well, you're cool. hitting all my favorites with rush and porcupine tree neil peart <laughs> and uh, gavin harrison some of my favorites there so um yeah it's it you also <laughs> sing on this album obviously and i wanted to ask you who inspires you as a singer do you have vocalists that you sort of hold up as influences on your approach to vocals there's a whole bunch um I think the first one would be Gretchen Parlato. She's a jazz singer, a contemporary, a very current jazz singer. Mm -hmm. uh, and Esperanza Spalding. Those are my favorite contemporary jazz singers. For this album, I was sort of thinking of a little bit of this and that. John Mayer, Paula Cole, Stephen Wilson. Gosh, I don't really know. Just Gino Vanelli. Okay. Uh, Frank Sinatra, Amy Winehouse, uh, this and that, just like pretty much just anything that catches my attention. Mm -hmm. And like now I've been really diving into like, like the classic jazz. That's going to be for a future albums with like influences from people like Ella Fitzgerald, Dinah Washington, maybe Donnie Hathaway, maybe, um, I don't know, just whatever catches my attention so it's just fun yeah so your first song on the album is a b it's a you, you released this as a single
it's got a tremendous groove to it, an instrumental track, very jazzy electric piano over this great bass groove. This, from what I understand, this song's inspiration came to you on Cruise to the Edge hearing Adrian Ballou's set. Is that true? Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. I was hearing Adrian Ballou and she had, he he had, who was the bass player? The female oh, bass player? Like I can't remember. Julie something. And it was just a really cool show. And um, after the show, I got back to the, I was in a cat. Was it a cabin? Yeah. Yeah. I was in a cabin. Feels like years now with this <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was in a cabin and I immediately started singing this idea. And I had my machine, I had my Victor Reader stream out and I sang it. I don't, I, I forgot if I was either brushing my teeth or 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 what, but I was just out of nowhere hearing the start of the song. And then when I got back home, I got my Korg keyboard and started recording, finishing the song. And I was thinking like King Crimson meets Snarky Puppy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, snarky, that's puppy, great. snarky Puppy is one of my favorite instrumental fusion type bands they're like very symphonic mm -hmm. and um they're pretty cool so well uh sounds like you have listened to just about everything <laughs> you, <laughs> not not much gets past you i think <laughs> so we go to uh, take me away is the first of three epic pieces on the album it starts off with this really sort of a a church organ, Rick Wakeman-y bit. Um, is, is that what in, inspired that that opening or was there something else you had in mind? I was actually thinking, um, I love Rick Wakeman. Um, I was actually thinking of the band Ambrosia, like their their early stuff, like okay. Somewhere I've Never Traveled, the first album, the second album. Cowboy Star. Yeah, Cowboy Star. There's that interlude in Cowboy Star that's that pipe organ kind of section in it um so i was i was sort of thinking of that yeah i haven't this boy it's been a long time since i've heard the early ambrosia yeah. stuff um That's really your, really cool. your vocals are very ethereal in this song you have some keith emerson type stuff in here as well um, what else was kind of going through your mind for this song i was thinking of um i think i was i was listening to alan parsons project uh tale the tales of mystery album imagination. in imagination okay. yeah and the version that i actually had the version that i've heard is the it's like the the remix version so it's not the original mix it's like a remix with like mm -hmm. a, a like a like the 1980s remix so it's the same music it's just mixed differently um but i would love to listen to the original mix because my brain is like, I'm able to spot like, yeah, that's the seventies mix. And that's it. Cause the eighties, they had the gated reverb on the snare, like that, that big arena sound. And then like mm -hmm. the 1970s, the drums were more almost dry at times. Yeah. Um, and then I was also, I was also listening to focus like um, their hamburger concerto album. Uh, what else? I'm trying to think of what else musicals various musicals like like a jesus christ superstar I'm trying to think of what else just like i was i think i was also listening to some kelly clarkson as well um yes of course with like close to the edge with the organ kind of a thing <laughs> a little bit yeah yeah
I wanted to ask you about your vocals in here because you took some, there, there's a lot of harmonies throughout the album. What was your approach to recording the vocals? How many, like how many layers were you wanting to go? Did you want to do two versus three? What went into your thought process on vocals? I think it was like for the really big sounds, a lot of times I would probably do like two sopranos on the left, two sopranos on the right. Same with the altos, the tenors. <laughs> I don't really remember. Like 12 tracks. Like 12 plus, tracks. Plus the lead. Yeah, the lead. Well, a couple leads because one of them is harmonized. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just like to bounce them into a, like all the background vocals, I like to bounce them in a single audio track so that way I can mix it better and stuff like that. Um, do you also do all your own mixing and producing on this? Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm doing it with some really, really old technology on, yeah, for, for the blinds on the computer. So, yeah. Track three is too much. You have this very delicate opening and, and that part later returns in the song. It's got a great harmony vocal. And then it's got this line that's repeated. It's too much for me to take. It's repeated yeah. almost like a almost like a mantra rather than a song chorus. What was what were you kind of going for with that? I don't really know. I think I just liked the sound of a simple idea that just sounded. I think I also wanted to say something about take me away that I that just immediately popped in my mind. For a while, I was wanting to, I was trying to figure out some progressive rock type stuff with, well, influenced with female vocals. And most of the things that I would listen to was really nice. Like it was mostly in the European kind of an approach. And I've always wanted to challenge myself. And my favorite female singers are like jazz and R&B and all kinds of stuff and so i wanted to challenge myself and see if i can do something that's going to have vocals that are influenced that take cues from all these other varieties and mm -hmm. and then with uh, too much that started from an idea that my friend one of my friends michelle sample her and i we would she would used to go to my house at times and visit and she would play me all kinds of music from Arcade Fire to, what was it? Franz Ferdinand, uh, The Killers, like a lot of the indie rock type stuff. Mm -hmm. And she would write all sorts of different conceptual ideas. She's like a huge, Mar she's like a huge Marillion fan also. Okay. So I can relate to that. Yeah. So she's the one that introduced me to Marillion with, um, Steve Rothery and and like the original lineup and the new lineup. So it's pretty fascinating to hear the evolution and, and stuff like that. And then especially when it came to the lyrics, the lyrics sort of came from an idea that Michelle had for a conceptual album about like a post-apocalyptic United States or something like that. And this mm -hmm. was back in like 2017 or 2018. And at in my brain, I was thinking. I'm not quite sure if I'm really up to that right now, but 
I think to get in the mindset, I had this dream one night where I was hearing the ending of the song of too much. And it was before it gets into the buildup with the high vocals and stuff like that. And when I woke up from the dream, I'm like, okay, I know where this is. I know how this is going to go in the lyrics and in the music and the, and I had been getting into um, a nine inch nails phase. So a lot of like dark stuff, but the thing that I was very fascinated by while listening to nine inch nails and um, like porcupine tree, listening to the, the sound design, the, the way that vocals and lyrics and instrumentation, the way that it can just build in so many different ways. And so I wanted to write some lyrics that would be very simple. I think I was also, I think this was also when I was getting into a George Harrison phase. So I was listening to like the All Things Must Pass album and those like phrases that are repeated in, in various ways. And so I, I, it's like a little bit of this and that. I wanted to like challenge myself and see what I could do with just playing around with a simple idea and just build on it and sort of like with jazz taking a thought and just exploring it and like it could be very soft it can be aggressive it could be almost dark it could be enthusiastic or whatever so yeah just ha just having a lot of fun with that <laughs> at the end of the day <laughs> yeah it sounds like it so was yeah. there was there something in particular that was thematically too much for you to take at that point or did you just like the phrase i just liked the phrase yeah. okay that's one of the fun things about listening to so many different styles of music it can be about something personal or or it could just be about something that is like what's well, you know it's just fun yeah. so like getting into the mindset of something really yeah yeah <laughs> track uh track four love uh, love today it's an interesting song it's got these the vocal is a bit wilson phillips e but it's but it's all it's also got all this intricate like intricate instrumental stuff going on underneath it what can i say well i had heard the price is going up and things some people only think of greed i don't want to hear about them anymore because I know But I have something that's always free And it's all for you and me For anyone who wants to be sure They will see And then it builds in intensity and it's it's kind of we'll probably get more into it in a, in a bit but a lot of this album is cinematic and i think for me this is kind of one of those moments where it's a little bit cinematic because you've got this you know really bright and and uh harmonic vocals going on and all this intricate stuff going on underneath it and and the build up is is great and and it kind of just goes from there it's just a, it just really the album is mm, it thanks. it's melodic it sounds nice but it's very complex and and i know that for me i'm not an, i'm not a musician and a lot of times i'll say wow that sounds really complicated and a musician will tell me no it's really not that complicated all i do is i take this thing and i and i invert it and then other times it really is complicated so why don't you tell me as the person who created it how complicated were these songs for you oh wow yeah, um, I think most of these songs were surprisingly very easy with Love Today. That's that song, I heard that entire song in a dream, including including most of the words. And when I woke up, I immediately got out my iPhone, hit the record button, <laughs> turned on one of my Nord keyboards and played the song. And it was some of it was similar. And then I redefined it by writing, finishing the lyrics and and um, recording it and stuff like that. And then Louis Phillips, 
Will, what's that name? Wilson Phillips. Wilson Phillips. I have to, I have to check out Wilson Phillips. Actually, I'm not familiar with that name. So, okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool yeah. though. <laughs> Track five, this uh, this is the way I am, is a very ELP-ish song. This, the lyrics for this were written by your mom, Jeannie Flowers, mm -hmm. and it seems to be a song about uh, you know experience of of you know trying to address maybe even a bullying incident. It seems some seems to touch on that theme. Is, is there was there maybe this is a better question for your mom? Was there was there a an incident this that the lyrics were based on, or was this just all conceptual? All right, here we go. <laughs> well, I'm in here. Um, it's the song is it's a hi. It's my mom. Uh, this the story is Rachel's. Um, she had first off she had written the music back when I was like in this was like around 2012, and this was when I was really in my ELP phase. So I was definitely that was a lot of my compositions back when I just started writing were really in sort of the Keith Emerson style because that was my brain was still processing a lot of his techniques and so I wasn't ready for a lot of the other artists and until like later on but anyways yeah 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 but she had written this music and and she hadn't started writing lyrics yet at that point mm -hmm. and but she had a title for it which is this is the way i am and and she so i, I was listening to her and i said oh gosh i'd love to write lyrics for this mm -hmm. but it took us a really long time to figure out what the song was really about and she wasn't ready to put it on an album yet anyway mm -hmm. so we kind of <laughs> took a while yeah. and just finding the melody was tough yep and um <laughs> and we talked a lot and it came out as as we were talking that she had had some issues in school as a kid that she had never Public told school. me about it at the time yeah and the terrible thing about it was it wasn't other kids it was teachers. AIDS, aids and teachers oh wow who had uh shamed her and bullied her and mm -hmm. and uh just kind of messed really messed with her head and and here i was learning about it years later when there was nothing i could do about it you know yeah. and so uh, we were both <laughs> a little upset yeah. about that and and we we realized this is what the song needed to be about because it had an aggressive feel to it mm -hmm. that was different than a lot of the other things that she was doing at the time. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and we wanted to just uh, express what she went through. Mm -hmm. And, but then as, as I was writing the lyrics, I realized, you know what, it can't just be about being angry and being upset mm -hmm. because that's not the way she is. <laughs> Um, it had to have a positive spin to it mm -hmm. and um, so that's that's you know I would write part of it and then say Rachel is this how you really felt and she'd say yeah and I'd keep going <laughs> I'd have a smile on my face yeah like, he gets it <laughs> yeah but it's 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 her story yeah. but okay. I, I came in and and kind of helped her mm -hmm. express it 
So I'm going to back 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 out of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Rachel. I'm sorry you you had to to deal with that, as, especially yeah. at such a young age. But um, yeah. uh, like they say, all all um, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of great art comes from from dark places. So um, yeah. you know, at least there were, you know there was a, a an end benefit um, about mm -hmm. it. Track six, The Darkness, the second of the big epics on the album. This one is very, very cinematic, very um, mm -hmm. film score-ish. Have, have you studied, uh, among the many things that you've listened to, have you studied film scores or worked with people who specialize in that, or did it just come mm -hmm. naturally for you? Oh, man. When I was very little, when Titanic was huge, what my brain was really into wasn't only the Celine Dion song, but it was the rest of the James Horner score. Mm-hmm. And the way that the different melodies are used and the orchestration and mixing the like mixing vocal with a French horn. I thought it was like a single instrument. I was like, what sound is that? <laughs> and so I've always loved listening to film scores like the John Williams, the Howard Shore, like the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um what else? What else? Well, Hans Zimmer, maybe. Hans Zimmer. Yeah. yeah. I, I watch movies a whole lot. So when I'm watching movies, I'm always hearing the music in the background. And like now there's this incredible thing to watch movies with descriptive audio. So somebody would write a script mid, like in between the dialogue in a movie. So that way people that can't see what's on the screen, they're telling the listener what's happening on the screen and it's just really amazing now but i would listen to i would be hearing the music in movies a lot of times i was just fascinated by how they get that gigantic sound um along with listening to soundtracks so but um also i was listening to steve vai in the metropole orchestra performance and then the Keith Emerson orchestral, the album that he did with Mark Bonilla, where they reimagined ELP classics with the orchestra. So it was a mixture of film scores and other various things to, to um, explore and bring that cinematic thing into my music because I, I love cinematic stuff. Mm -hmm. so. well, it certainly comes through in that uh, in that song. Where, what was going on through your mind when you when you worked on uh, the lyrics about the world spinning and speaking with mm -hmm. winds of change and all of that? I don't know. I wasn't really thinking about anything. I just wanted to um, just write something like kind of like using my imagination, I guess, based because I had the music first, and I just wanted to see if I can make up words that would match the tone of the music i was i was listening to a lot of dream theater so stuff like the metropolis part two scenes from a memory album six degrees of inner turbulence um i would listen to those um so just yeah um i wasn't really thinking of anything i just wanted to get in the mindset i guess okay. 
you're mm -hmm. you're hitting more of my favorites so i think we would probably have a, a very similar uh, music collections i think yours would be bigger but i think uh we'd have a lot of the same stuff in it cool And the, the last epic is feel in this okay. one again has some elp echoes through it uh i i think the the guitar solo in the middle of this uh song is probably my favorite one on the album um mm, thanks what what was the inspiration for that solo? um i think i was thinking of john petrucci from dream theater and okay. frank zappa so it's a little bit of just something that's like very jazzy and fusiony I was also thinking of Steely Dan as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can see that. Um, yeah. Lyrically, this seems like you coming out of the darkness. You, you, you talked about the positivity, and I think a lot from what I've read about uh, your approach to this album was that you want people to take away from this that that you can you know you can get through dark times and come out to a better place and and find the beauty in the world and that kind of thing is is that kind of what you had in mind as as far as you know themes for this album uh yeah i think so yeah uh you end with a couple more uplifting positive songs beautiful dream and with you i sing to you a beautiful dream where you feel I'll send you a heavenly choir to show you the gifts of love. I'll sing to you a beautiful dream where you feel joy and happiness. Then you can wake up to a brighter world tomorrow. When I started writing this song, I was initially hearing it with some orchestral background stuff because I love orchestral and huge sounds. And I wanted to see what it would sound like if it was just piano and voice stripped down. And I did a couple different versions of it. And the first version, the piano part wasn't, it didn't really have much of a pulse. Like it was on the it was on a click track, but you couldn't hear it. And so mm -hmm. I wasn't quite happy with that. So then I thought, well, I got my Korg piano. Let's see if I can rework the piano part and play a pulse when it comes to the second verse so that it feels more involved. Yeah, um, I think being both a classical and a jazz pianist, mixing all those different elements together and mixing a little bit of complexity, not not like too complex, like you know, yeah. but more in the atmosphere kind of. I was I would listen to a whole lot of um, Adele's Twenty One album, 
songs like Turning Tables or Someone Like You, like very piano driven. And I wanted to sort of do the opposite and do a song where the piano part wasn't as, it's not fast, it's more slower. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about, I don't know what I was thinking about. I just wanted to challenge myself and do a less is more thing so that because the words were coming from a personal place, actually, this one, I wrote this one about my friend, Michelle, and we would email each other on different thoughts and various things. And sometimes I'm nervous when it comes to really expressing things. And so I started thinking, what what do I love about Paula Cole and Alanis Morissette and and even like Nine Inch Nails or, you know, like this and that. And it was, or James Taylor is the vivid, the vivid imagery. And uh, Jill Scott's another favorite, just expressing that friendship thing that, that it's hard, it's hard to figure out how to describe it. It's easy for me to put it into lyrics. Yeah, I understand. I was also thinking of um, Taylor Swift's Safe and Sound from the first Hunger Games movie that's played in the credits. So, okay. Yeah, this, yeah. I was also thinking of Sarah McLachlan and song like Angel. Yeah. So it's a little bit of that, just that. I think that's what, I, that's what was going through my mind was the Sarah McLachlan stuff with the piano doing the less is more thing. So, with a, with a hint of <clears throat> jazz harmonies thrown in at, at times yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Rachel do you have a favorite song on this album do you have one that kind of speaks to you more than the others um I don't really know I, I like them all they each have their own thing I think for production one of my favorites is take me away okay. uh, and then I don't know they're all <laughs> it's tricky yeah. it's so tricky I think for for singing it'll be this is the way i am that that's uh because at at the very end i wanted to end on a really big high note almost operatic jazzy Mm. operatic how about um as an instrumentalist as a someone who plays a lot of instruments is there one that's more fun for you than others Uh, well i know (laughs) ab was one of them yeah because it's all instrumental but I mean, they're all, they were all a lot of fun, like Take Me Away, especially mm-hmm. um, the organ solo. That that was one of those songs where I actually, I think that when I made up the entire thing, just using a pipe organ sound on my keyboard, and then I just added on to it, I already knew as I was working, as I, I would just do the pipe organ stuff. And then I would just, my brain would be hearing Okay, here comes here. The singing melody is going to be this, and now the organ solo is going to be here. The guitar, the organ solo. I was not just thinking about Keith Emerson, and but I was also thinking of one of my favorite organ solos is the solo to "Light My Fire," Raymond Eric and the Doors. Okay, yeah, yeah, and the stuff that he's doing with the thirds, the third interval. It's hard for me to talk about it without demonstrating it, but. That's one of my favorite conceptual solos that focuses on an idea and it just builds and builds to it. And it like it builds it and then it brings it down. And it's all with these really cool, like that type of melodic playing. So I was sort of like thinking of that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah. So speaking of fun, you know, do, is there an instrument that you have more fun playing than others? So you, you like, are you still more a piano keyboard? Uh, is that still more fun for you than guitar or, or does it, does it matter really? It doesn't really matter. Um, I think the one that I often like to play more often for like composing, it would mainly be the keyboards. Okay. So do you, uh, yeah. Do you always start with the music and then add the lyrics or does sometimes the lyrics come first? I don't really know. A lot of times it'll be the music first and then the lyrics. Sometimes it's all together, but like I'll have the melody or I'll have the rough melody idea. And then I get the laptop out, write down the word, like write down some lyric drafts and then 
That's it. How long did it take to put this album together from from start to finish? I, I mean, I know I don't want you to count the time that you, you wrote the, the the music for that one song years ago, but you know, just from the time you started to work on this record to the time that you were able to put it out. Oh man, it's so interesting. I I began a whole lot of these songs back around like 2016 or 2017. And it's interesting because I would be working on some rock style songs. I'd work on some jazz style songs around the same time. Mm -hmm. And then mom and I would be, my mom would, we would go through a certain order of songs and I would say, okay, these are going to be the songs for this rock inspired album. And we would go through the songs. We would play around with the selection, the order, stuff like that. And then once I'm finally happy with it, it's it's right there. So, yeah. what is next for you, Rachel, in terms of live dates and and upcoming projects? What's uh what's coming up for you? Uh, I'm in the process of um, making a jazz album, like a jazz vocal album. Mm -hmm. So, and then sort of a hip hop, jazz fusiony mixture kind of an album. So. For live shows, uh, November 6th, opening up for John Payne's Asia. Okay. In New Rahway. Jersey, in Rahway, that's sort of like the prog stock thing. So. <laughs> yeah. It's your new home away from home, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, it, I'd spent a long time, but I, I interviewed John Payne a while back. It, uh, he seemed like a really good guy. So oh, wow. I'm sure, I'm sure that'll, be, that'll be great uh, fun for you. The album is called Bigger on the Inside. It came out October 1st. And um, where's the best place for people to get the album? Is it through your, your band camp, your website? Bandcamp. The band, band camp. camp. Yeah. Band okay. camp. Where else can people find you on online, on social media and that kind of thing? Facebook. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Twitter yeah. SoundCloud, a lot of those places. Spotify. Spotify. All right. And you got uh, your website is rachelflowersmusic.com. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Rachel, it's been, it's been great talking to you about this album. I really enjoyed it. I think that a lot, of, a, a lot of progressive rock fans are going to like it. Jazz fans will mm -hmm. like it. Classical fans mm -hmm. will like it. It's got mm -hmm. a little bit of everything in there. Yeah, and uh, I hope it really does well for you. I've, I've enjoyed yeah. learning about it. Uh, thank, thank you for your time. Thank you, Jeannie, for your time. You're welcome. Yeah. And, and uh, I wish you guys the the best of luck with this album. Thanks. That's uh, it's so exciting to have this album in the world and, and then also to hear various like I'm like I'm getting notoriety in various was it magazines? Yeah. Yeah. Some getting some reviews, some getting some reviews and getting some airplay on certain like uh shows all across the world and it's 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 very exciting. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, 
and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash michaelsrecordcollection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.